Welcome to episode number 24 of Calm History. This is a serial episode featuring the story of Henry Ford, part 5, his first car race. I'm Harris, and I created this time machine of tranquility to bring you the drama and excitement of history, but in a calm tone so you can just chill and relax. Alright, this is part five of a series of episodes about Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company. The entire series follows his journey to create the first automobile that middle-class Americans could afford. The earlier parts of this series can be found in the Archives podcast for Silk Plus members. Okay, let me summarize what has happened so far in this story. In part one, the skills and interests of a young Henry Ford highlight his fate to someday create a successful company. In part two, he has a great business idea. It's not related to cars, but tragedy prevents him from pursuing it. In part three, he has the epiphany for a new type of car engine and starts creating his vision. In part four, which was the prior episode to this one, he creates the first fully functional version of his car. His new car attracts the attention of co-workers, investors, journalists, and a curious character named Coffee Jim. In this episode, he is going to make improvements to his engine and then attempt to race it against the nation's best drivers. Yup, it's going to be Henry Ford, the unknown mechanic, racing against the nation's most famous and successful race car drivers. I won't spoil the result, but the real importance of this event is not what it seems at first. But don't worry, I'll explain it to you so you can see the big picture of how this day shaped his future. If you enjoy this episode and want many more episodes, then just become a Silk Plus member and you can get free access for a limited time to every archive and bonus episode of Calm History, including the earlier episodes about Henry Ford, along with 500 other episodes. If interested, then just use the link in the episode notes or go to silkpodcasts.com. Okay, time to step inside my time machine of tranquility. I hope it distracts and relaxes your overactive brain squirrels. The Story of Henry Ford Part 5 His First Car Race 
Now, let's address the obvious challenge for Henry Ford, or for anyone really, to produce and market a new idea on a large scale. The key is money. You either have enough in your own pockets, or you get enough from someone else's pockets. And the bigger the idea, the bigger the pockets. Unfortunately for Henry Ford, getting funding to mass-produce a fleet of cars wasn't going to be easy. Individuals with enough money to build a factory were not seeking business ventures at this moment in time. Money was scarce for most everyone, and things were only looking worse in the near future. The few individuals who might have taken up Ford's invention would have wanted to sell a small amount of fancy cars at higher profits per car. But Ford's vision was to sell many simple cars at lower profits per car. And the people with the deep pockets? Yeah, they didn't like that idea. Ford wished he could finance his idea himself, but he couldn't. His current salary barely covered the payments on his house, the cost of his wife's illness, the costs of a new baby, and all their living expenses. The situation would have been disheartening to most men, but Ford just kept focused on how to improve his engine even more. Primarily, he wasn't satisfied with his one-cylinder engine. It didn't give him the power he wanted. So he created another cylinder from another section of pipe. The two-cylinder result was somewhat better, but still the little car jerked along over the ground, and it didn't satisfy him. He fell back into his old routine, twelve hours at the Edison plant, home to supper, then out to the shed to work on the engine for the rest of the evening. This meant that the duties of the house once again fell on Clara, his wife. She kept busy cleaning the house, nursing the baby, preparing meals, sewing, washing, and ironing clothes, and keeping on top of all of their bills. Any work done by Henry in the old shed was definitely more of a team effort than a solo achievement. During this time, other inventors and machinists were not only trying to manufacture cars, they were doing it. Ford saw some of these cars on the streets. They were big, fancy cars with shiny enamel, expensive leather cushions, and elaborate brass carriage lamps. This meant that they had found investors who were telling them to make a small amount of fancy cars at high profit margins. Only the rich could afford these big fancy cars. Ford also noticed something else 
Most of these cars were powered by big, bulky, heavy steam engines. It seemed that no one was doing his vision of mass-producing a low-cost, gasoline-powered car. Ford would later say, I didn't worry much. I knew I could put my idea through somehow. Any project that's founded on the idea of the greatest good for the greatest number will win in the end. It's bound to. As per usual, Ford went home each night, ate supper, and just kept plugging away in the old shed. For the next eight years, he worked diligently to improve things about his engine, like cylinder number, piston size, crankshaft revolutions, spark timing, smoothness, reliability, and power. In the spring of 1901, Henry Ford had finally created an engine that satisfied him. It was a two-cylinder, four-cycle engine that had enough power to make his gasoline-powered car a real possibility. He mounted his new engine on the old vehicle frame he had built nine years earlier. The old frame was supported on bicycle wheels and had the same old wood board for a seat. With anticipation, he pushed his improved vehicle out of his shed and onto his moonlit driveway. It was nearly midnight. The lights of nearby houses had gone out many hours earlier. In his own home, Clara and his young son Edsel were sleeping soundly. Ford turned his new contraption down Edison Avenue and put on full power. The engine responded smoothly, strongly, and beautifully. The car raced down the avenue. The wind lifted Ford's hair and blew hard against his face. After as many years of long hours in the shed, this was a moment of pure joy. Ford knew right away where he was going to drive to. He was headed to the late-night food wagon run by Coffee Jim. Over the many years, Coffee Jim had become his closest friend. Ford was a bit reserved at work, so his colleagues had more of a casual relationship with him rather than an intimate one. His long hours at work and at home, prevented him from cultivating outside social circles. His lack of a true circle of friends also meant he didn't have a good network to meet potential investors. Well, at least he had his close friend, Coffee Jim. Henry gunned the motor and sped his way to the food wagon. Coffee Jim examined the car with interest. He was impressed. He even left his food wagon and took a short ride in it. 
He listened while Ford explained its mechanical principle. Coffee Jim smiled and said, You've got a winner here, all right. All you need is capital. Ford agreed and kept churning ideas in his head as he rode back home. The next morning, he drove to work at the Edison plant in his car, and on the way home, he made a detour through Detroit's main streets. He wanted people to talk about the car, and they did. Almost everyone in Detroit heard about it in the months that followed. Ford took a few days off from work now and then to try to find investors to help him manufacture the car. He interviewed his banker and most of the big businessmen of the city. At every meeting, he outlined his plan for a factory and demonstrated the car. Everyone showed some level of interest, but no one offered to finance his project. Later that fall, he discussed the situation with Coffee Jim one night. Ford inhaled deeply and said, I've got the car, and I've got the right idea. It's bound to win in time. The trouble is that these men can't understand the potential of my car unless they see it with their own eyes. What I need is some spectacular way to showcase the car. If I could enter it into the gross point races next year, I know it would beat any other vehicle there. These men would then fall over each other trying to finance my factory. Coffee Jim nodded in agreement and asked the obvious question. Well, why don't you do it? Ford shook his head and stated, I can't. It costs too much. I took off some days from work to find investors, so my wages have taken a hit. My son's also been sick. Even if I could afford the materials to build a new car that would be suitable for racing, I don't have the time. I would need to basically quit my job so I could work day and night to build a race-worthy car. That just can't happen. Coffee Jim pondered Ford's situation. He knew Ford well, and he believed in the car. To win the gross point races would give Ford his chance, a chance he was missing for lack of money. Coffee Jim thought about his own bank account. It had been growing steadily from the profits of fried ham sandwiches and hamburgers. Coffee Jim looked at Ford and said, I'll back you. You go on, quit your job, build that car, and enter the gross point races. I'll put up the money. Ford accepted the offer without hesitation. He was confident they could win those races and return the money. Coffee Jim waved aside Ford's suggestion of securing the loan by a personal note or by a mortgage on his house. 
Just take the money, Coffee Jim declared. Pay it back when you can. You'll worry it's good enough for me. Sure enough, Fort took Coffee Jim's money, gave up his job at the Edison plant, and went to work on building a racing car. He took out the engine and rebuilt the car entirely. He replaced old makeshift material with stronger and better material. Day and night, he worked on designing a racing body, figuring out ways to decrease weight and air resistance. Eight months of careful thought and work went into that car. At last, it was finished. At four o'clock one morning, business being over at the food wagon, he and Coffee Jim took it out for a trial. It ran like the wind. Down the quiet, vacant streets of Detroit, they raced at a speed that made the houses on either side blur into a gray haze. Coffee Jim clung breathlessly to the mechanic's seat, while Ford bent over the steering lever and gave her more power, and still more power. Holy Moses, she sure does run, Coffee Jim gasped. When the car slowed down and stopped, he added, You'll win that race, sure shooting. Ford stood staring at his new race car. Yep, she's a good little two-cylinder car. But I've got an idea for a four-cylinder motor that'll beat her. It's too late to build it now. We'll have to put this one in the race. But I'll make a car yet that'll beat this as much as this car beats a bicycle. His words were not a boast. They were simple facts. With great anticipation, Clara and Henry Ford looked forward to the day of the races. Henry decided to be his own driver, which wasn't an idea that excited his wife Clara. She had seen the car perform during practice runs, and its speed terrified her. On October 10, 1901, enormous crowds gathered at the Gross Point tracks. It was the first automobile track meeting ever held in Michigan, and excitement ran high. Alexander Winton was there. He was the track champion of the country. Confident and smiling in his car, Winton had broken many records. The crowds cheered wildly for him. Ford was quiet and even a little pale due to the stress at the moment. He drove his car on the tracks, but was greeted mostly with quizzical looks and questions rather than cheers from the crowds. People in the crowd chattered amongst themselves. Who's that? Oh, that's some Detroit man. Let's see. Looks like his name is Henry Ford. I've never heard of him before. Funny little car he's got there. Don't you think? Well, looks like he's the only man racing against Winton in the free-for-all final.
I wonder why they couldn't get a real car to race against Winton. The crowd's reception to Ford was quite different than their reception to Winton, as well as their reception to Tom Cooper, a bicycle champion. Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. The crowd cheered with enthusiasm as Tom Cooper strolled onto the field and chatted with Winton. Ford was outside this inner circle of racers. He'd been too busy working on his car to be a part of their world. He also had too little money to be on intimate terms with the big men of the automobile business or to become friendly with champions. Ford didn't have any regrets. He was just thinking about the race. He examined his car again, checked the gas and oil, and was ready. Coffee Jim slapped him on the shoulder and said, All right, Ford, go to it. He then hurried to his seat in the grandstand, next to Clara and Ford's son, Edsel. Down on the track, Winton waved his cap in a last response to the roar from the crowd, then pulled it down tight and settled back into his seat. The signal came. Ford, bending over his steering lever, threw on the power and felt the car jump forward. The ten-lap race was on. The crowd cheered for Winton as he took the initial lead. Ford stuck closely behind him through the first lap. As they entered the end of the first stretch in the second lap, Winton's car burst forward and the crowd cheered even more. Winton held the lead for the first five laps, with Ford falling far behind him. But then, in the sixth lap, Ford started to gain on him. In lap seven, Winton's car started to sputter and smoke, and then Ford passed him. In the final stretch, it was Ford who crossed the finish line first. The crowd went wild in excitement and disbelief. Right after the race, Ford sat in his little car, pale, shaken, dusty. But he was the track champion of the country. He was surrounded by a small crowd of automobile enthusiasts, promoters, and bicycle champions. They were all eager to meet and talk with the unknown man who had taken the crown away from Winton. Among them was Tom Cooper, the bicycle champion. Grasping Ford's hand, Cooper looked with interest at the curious man who had won the race and said, Bully work, chap. The way you handled her on that last turn was impressive. Say, whose car is this? Hmm, mine, said Ford. Cooper shook his head and said, No, I mean, whose engine did you use? What company built it? It's my engine. I made it, Ford replied. 
Cooper again shook his head. Do heck you did. Cooper then paused, noticing that Ford didn't look like he was joking. Cooper continued, Well, if you did, then I must say you did a fine job. I'd like to look it over sometime. Ford nodded and said, Sure, come out to my house anytime. Glad to show it to you. It was the beginning of an association which would be highly profitable for both of them. Other men of national prominence in the world of sports greeted Ford enthusiastically that day. Reporters hurried up with cameramen, and Ford stepped back into the little car and posed somewhat sheepishly for his first newspaper pictures. He was beyond question the hero of the day. He took it all in a matter-of-fact manner. His car had simply done what he had expected. He just hoped that the publicity would bring him the necessary capital to start his factory. Now, contrary to what you might be thinking right now, Ford didn't prove his car was the strongest or most powerful that day. Let me explain the big picture of what happened that day. At the start of the race day, 13 cars showed up to race each other. There were preliminary races to see who would compete in the final race. After all of the preliminary races, only the cars of Winton and Ford were still in good enough condition to race each other. And then during the first five laps of the final race, Winton's car proved that it was more powerful and faster than Ford's car. But then Winton's car started faltering in the seventh lap, losing power and speed. This is what allowed Ford to win the race. On that day, Henry Ford didn't prove that he had built the fastest car. He had proven that he had built the most reliable car. Now which type of car would you invest in? One that goes super fast and then falls apart? Or one that goes pretty fast and also gets you to your destination without any problems? Yeah, that day was quite the victory for Henry Ford. A day that should have raised the eyebrows of smart investors. And sure enough, within a week of his racing victory, he started receiving offers from the wealthy men of Detroit. The local papers printed pictures of Ford, his car, and the old shed where it had been built. They wrote about his long hours, years of work, and efforts to organize a company. Detroit had been awakened to the fact that there was a real opportunity for those with a good vision and sufficient capital. But every single one of these potential investors insisted on one thing, 
absolute control of the company. From their standpoint, that was reasonable. If they furnished all the money and Ford only furnished ideas, of course they should keep the larger share of the profits and have full control of the business. Without their money, they argued, his idea was worthless. Ford didn't buy their arguments. He maintained that the idea and innovations were the most valuable part of the business. He insisted on controlling the organization which was to manufacture his cars. Without significant control, he couldn't bring his full vision to reality. It wasn't just about creating a new product. It was about creating a new process. For years, he'd been evolving his vision for how his factory would work, its methods, its organization, and the efficient assembly of raw materials into finished cars. He had figured costs to the fraction of a cent, planned methods of arranging the work, standardizing the product, and eliminating waste and friction at every possible point. He was going to build that factory as he had built his engine, in spite of any obstacles or opposition. To do it, he must control the company's policies. It was a deadlock. To the men with money, it seemed like madness to put an obstinate mechanic in charge of the business. An unknown mechanic who had just happened to hit on an idea for a better automobile engine. Ford wouldn't budge. He had the patents, so he knew no one could use his ideas and innovations without him. In a short time, the discussions were dropped, and he was back where he started before he had won the car race. Yet, some of the men he had met because of his victory were developing into close friends. As expected, Tom Cooper, the bicycle champion, did end up visiting Ford many times and discussing his factory ideas. There was also C.H. Wills, a mechanical draftsman who was becoming friends with Ford, and another was James Cousins, a small hardware merchant of Detroit. As it turned out, Cousins had a talent for business affairs. He formed a plan to attract a small group of other merchants like himself to finance Ford. He brought negotiations to a certain point and found himself confronted again by their demand for control of the company. Cousins brought this problem to Ford. We must do something that'll convince them that they have to do it by your terms. Something big. Something startling to stir them up. Tom Cooper was also part of the discussion, and he suggested, How about winning another race? There's one in Ohio this fall. 
Cousin shook his head. No, it must be right here, so I can take my investors out and let them see it. Ford chimed in. I could enter the gross point races again next spring. I can't afford to build a newer and better car, so I'll have to race with the same car. I don't think that will show the investors anything new, though. Cooper looked intently at Ford. If money wasn't the issue, you really think you could build a better and faster car? Without hesitation, Ford replied, Of course. Cooper slapped Ford on the back and said, Well, you go and build it, and I'll cover the bills. Ford accepted the offer, even though it was another debt on his shoulders. He was still in debt to Coffee Jim for the cost of his first racer, a debt he promised himself he would pay off. In the meantime, Ford immediately began to work on his second racer. Cooper had told him to build her big. The roof's the limit. I want it to be a monster of power. And Henry Ford planned to do just that. This is the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Calm History. Calm History is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to enjoy more podcasts like The Constant, Underworld, and Subtext. In the meantime, stay tuned for Part 6 of the Story of Henry Ford in an upcoming episode of Calm History. If you'd like to become a Silk Plus member and get free access for a limited time to every archive and bonus episode of Calm History, including the earlier episodes about Henry Ford, along with 500 other episodes, then just use the link in the episode notes or go to silkpodcasts.com. Thank you for listening to my podcast.